Good morning, church. My name is Pastor Scott. So glad to be with you this morning. As we come to conclusion of Philippians, we've been talking about finding joy in the midst of every situation. Today we'll be talking about anxiety and fear and conflict, all that comes from the first nine verses of Philippians 4. Next week, I will wrap up Philippians. We'll do the second half of Philippians 4. I hope you would join us for that message next week. Really excited about it. But today we have uh, a really great message um, called Presence Makes Practice. In just a moment, I'll pray and we'll begin. We're going to be talking about anxiety. We're talking about conflict and um, I just want to start with just a um, reminder that for some in the room that have anxiety, that's it's a medical diagnosable fact. Uh, there's no shame this morning. There's no voice of condemnation. Now, the word is to all believers that for all of us that we have a propensity to worry more. And Paul is saying if we if we focus on the presence of Christ and live our life with certain practices, that all of us can be uh, more united with understanding His presence brings peace. And so uh, we encourage those of you in the room that are like, boy, in this season, I'm working with a counselor or a psychiatrist or I'm working, you know, whatever you're doing on the road to, to health, we want to encourage that. And, and the Word of God wants to also encourage that work uh, to join with you, to bring you towards a new peace. This word today is a, is a timely word for us all. Uh, so let's pray and we'll begin. Lord Jesus, thank you so much for the Word of God, which uh, rings and uh, reminds us that, God, you want to change us and shape us. All series long, Lord, we've, we've been asking to be encouraged, and we've been asking to be challenged. And so under those two things, we join you, God, this morning. Would you encourage us with your word? And would you challenge us to be people who live out this peace that you proclaim? We love you, God. Thank you for loving us. And all of God's people said, amen, amen, amen. Philippians week 5, chapter 4, verses 1 through 9. If you brought your Bible, great. We're going to look at it. If you didn't, that's okay. We're going to have the scripture up here. The title today is called Presence Makes Practice. We're, we're kind of playing with that old idiom that many of us were raised by, that practice makes perfect. Uh, today we're talking about the presence of God. Presence makes practice. And the reality, church, is that uh, I'm going to share some news with you that's not news at all, that we are an anxious nation. Right now, anxiety is on the rise. Current reports is the United States is the most anxious nation in the world. According to a recent Slate article, that more than 18% of adults are suffering from anxiety disorder, according to the National Institute of Mental Health. Stress-related ailments are costing the nation $300 billion every year in medical bills and lost productivity. We're anxious people. This is increasing. It's increasing in our kids, in our high school students, in our college students. Uh, just last week, a team of UCLA researchers released its latest annual report on the mindset of American university students who are freshmen. So really, it's a, it's a mindset of current uh, teenagers in America. Uh, America, they surveyed 200,000 incoming freshmen in colleges around the, the country. And students reported all-time lows in overall mental health, all-time, and all-time highs in anxiety. We live in anxious times. And if you ask any of our tweens or teens in the room, they will share with you, yeah, there's a lot of pressure. But stuff that maybe in previous generations they were excluded from, they're asked to carry a lot these days. So young, young, old, like all of us in the room, anxiety, stress, fatigue, like it, it comes in the scriptures, it's coming to us in the world. And yet there's been this problem in the church, that in the church we haven't talked enough about, about mental health. We haven't talked enough about what do we do when we're anxious. 
for many of us, myself included, when we came to faith, we, you know, it's like, you never told me there'd be days like this. I never knew that, you know, that, that things could be so hard. I was raised that once you're a Christian, everything would be easy. But it's not consistent with the, with the modern world that's coming at us constantly, bombarding us with messages of anxiety. And to the tune that for many kids, when, when they leave home and they encounter an anxious world, they start to tune out. That it's the anxiety of the world's inconsistent with the world of faith that they were raised by. Recently, there was an article in Salon Magazine where, where a, a young person, they're now 30, but they were young before that, but they said this. They said, I'm 30 years old now. I'm struggling to find sanity between Christian schools and homeschooling and Christian group and, uh, you know, all of the different activities. I, I'm a psychological, emotional, and spiritual mess, said a former evangelical. See, because they were raised in a faith that didn't tell them they would face anxiety. They would face hard things. And yet today, as we look at Philippians 4, we see that this, this letter written 2,000 years ago rings true today. Because Paul is talking to a group of people in the city named Philippi in, the, in a Roman colony, and he says, I know that you're anxious, and I know that you're fighting, but I need you to know that there's a presence of God who's with you, not in the absence of conflict, not in the absence of anxiety, but right in the middle of it. And if you can tap into the presence of God and live into it with new practices of prayer and, and, and kind of activity of saying, God, I can't earn this peace that comes to the scriptures, but I want to live into it, then we have an antidote to anxiety. We have a hope that each and every day when things get hard, we say, today, Lord, I choose faith. So let's, let's look at our first point or our outline, that there's a presenting problem. There's a presenting problem in our culture of anxiety. I just talked to you about our statistics, and you know, it's, it's growing, it's increasing. We feel this. And in, in Philippi was the same thing. There was this problem of conflict and anxiety. Now, uh, Philippians is a book written to the city of Philippi, which was the first church that Paul set up in in Europe, basically, and, and they could tell that persecution was coming. In fact, persecution was coming. For those first couple hundred years of, of Christianity, Christians were burned at the stake. The, to, to, to say that Jesus was Savior meant you didn't believe that Caesar was Savior and, and Lord, and, and if you said that, you'd be put to death. And so the church in Philippi, they were the first church, and so they were starting to sense that there was problems coming from without, like us. We sense, like, problems coming from without. North Korea, you know, like, you, know, you name it, there's, like, stuff to worry about from without. But what also comes here in verses 1 through 4 is there's problems within, because any of us in the room know it, in our families, or in our schools, or in our place of work. Like, conflict is reality. So Paul's saying there's conflict coming from without, there's conflict coming from within, and yet he says this. Look at verse 1 in chapter 4. He says, therefore, my brothers and sisters, whom you I long and love, he says, uh, let your, uh, I will say it again, rejoice, 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 have joy, be, be joyful. He's like, I know we're going to be talking about anxiety, and we're going to be talking about conflict, but I'm going to start here at the beginning. Have joy. It's the name of Pastor Scott's sermon series in two years, in 2,000 years. Uh, have joy. It's the point of our faith, that we would believe stuff that would transform the way we think, that we believe stuff that transform the way we behave, that we would actually experience God in such a way that would bring more joy. If your faith is constantly bumming you out, you have to wrestle with this verse. Paul comes to us and says, rejoice. He says, rejoice. I'll say it again. And then, therefore, 
look at verse 1. Right, we jumped to 4. I don't know how he did that. Right? No, no, verse 1. You whom I love and long for my joy and crown, stand firm in the Lord this way, dear friends. Stand firm. Stand firm. Stand firm. Like he said, there's conflict coming from without. There's conflict coming from within. You will face challenges. You will, chase pers- you will face persecution. But stand firm. There will always, in every generation, there will be stuff coming at you saying, it's never been this bad. It's never been this much conflict. There's never been this much persecution. Paul's saying, stand firm. Because in the midst of standing firm, you're declaring what you believe. Because when you're a church, when you're a person that says, Okay, the stuff of God in the midst of the the persecution and the conflict and the stress, but as I stand firm on the promises of God, I'm declaring what I believe to be true. And the world looks at you and says, man, in the midst of all this stress they're going through, in the midst of their family of origin conflict, in the midst of their, you know, know, fill in the blank, your standing firm becomes your witness, right? When, When things get hard, how do you live? Paul says, stand firm. And then he says this in verse two and three. He says, I plead with Euodia, woman number one, and I plead with Sintich, woman number two, to be of the same mind. Like, stop arguing. Yes, and I ask you, my companion, he's saying to the church, he's calling it a friend, help these women because they've contended at my side. They've worked at my side in the cause of the gospel, along with Clement and the rest of my coworkers whose names are in the book of life. So Paul is saying something here about conflict. He's saying, like, I can't really get into it, but if you can help these two women work out whatever their difference is, like, we need them to work it out. You can't say that you're a church that loves God and loves one another if you don't love one another. The way that we do unity proclaims to the world that which we believe to be true. And so Paul is saying, hey, here even in the first 30 years of the church in Europe, there's conflict happening between these two women. We don't know. But he says, find your unity. What's the unity again? It's the same mind in the Lord. We come together on what we agree on, Jesus Christ. We may have voted differently. We may have different skin colors. We may have different orientation and different, but what do we agree on? We agree on who Jesus is. And that's where our unity is to be found. We're not finding agreement on everything that can separate us because then we're kind of identifying by the fence lines of our faith. No, as Christians, we're finding unity in the mind of faith. And, he, and he's giving this shout out to these women. Just a quick, quick history lesson about the history of the church. Recently in the last week, a prominent evangelical leader made waves by saying that women shouldn't preach and women shouldn't teach in, in seminaries. And I, f- I find that deeply offensive because uh, my wife teaches and she teaches in such a way that's as powerful more than myself. In my seminary education, my, my female professors were equal or, or better than the male professors. I feel like, though, that's making waves in the headlines. It's not consistent with the gospel. Because what happened in, in the early church is that a woman started this church. This church, Philippi, that the Philippians book was written about, was started by a woman named Lydia. And she was a businesswoman. And Paul wanted to go to a different part. Remember, he wanted to go somewhere else. But in Acts 16, you can read it yourself, God calls him in, in a vision to Europe in Macedonia. And he goes and they go outside of town and they meet a woman named Lydia. And it says that she loved God and her heart was open and she started a church. This letter, Philippians, was probably being read in Lydia's home. Because the early church didn't have buildings. We don't have a building, but they met in homes. So Lydia is this woman. She was the church planner. And then he's saying that these other women, yeah, they're not agreeing right now, but they've worked for the gospel. So Paul is not differentiating between male and female co-workers of the gospel. And I recognize in other letters, he has other specific references in those specific places about women's roles. But in general, Paul uses women to further the gospel, as Jesus did. 
that, that argument, let's just let it go. Because men and women are, are called to live out the gospel in our lives. And if you're a young woman, like, may you know that God has a message and a purpose for your life. Like you can do great things. Somebody tries to tell you, you're, ah, drives me bananas. All right, let's let it go. And know that God used women here in Philippi to advance the gospel. That's our model, the Bible here, Philippians 1, Philippians 4. And then Paul says this, he says in verse 4, he says, don't be anxious. Well, again, about joy. Let's look at verse 6. It says, don't be anxious for anything. Do not be anxious about anything. But in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. Do not be anxious about anything. And when Paul, he didn't write in English, of course, so this has been translating. The word that we use for anxious, the ancient Greek word was a word called merimnao, which basically means divided mind. So when Paul says, don't be divided mind, don't be like separated mind and spirit, don't be anxious. Anxiety was, was born out of this divided mind, merimnao. Paul says, don't be anxious, no, but in every situation, man, that's a hard one, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And in this little verse, Paul gives us the heart of God when we come to him in prayer. That we're called to, to bring not our anxiety to God, though we can, we're called to bring our request to God, but how do we bring it? We're called to bring it with thanksgiving. And there's a challenge implicit there. Because for many of us in the room, we make thanksgiving, God, I'll be thankful if you help me get the part. I'll be thankful if you can help me make the team. I'll be thankful if you help me get the girl, the job, the boy, that like fill in the blank. We think that thanksgiving comes on the far side of God's goodness. But what the scriptures say is when we're anxious, because we will become anxious. Remember, we just did the studies, like anxious time, like this is a reality. So when we're anxious, Paul's saying, try not to be anxious about anything, because in every situation you have an antidote to anxiety. Instead of choosing anxiety, choose prayer. It seems too simplistic. I know. But Paul's saying, as you pray with thanksgiving, God will move in you. God will work in you. How are we going to thank God when it hasn't even happened yet? We thank him first. We come to God and we thank him first. That seems difficult and challenging, but stay with me, church, because if we become people of faith that thank him first, he will change us in the process. We will find ourselves less anxious. God, I'm going to thank you first, even though I've got this test tomorrow. I do not feel like I don't know how to even do this, but I'm going to try it. Because I can't live with this anxiety all the time. Paul says, thank him first. Because as we pray more, with, yeah, go ahead and put your request to God, but thank him first. Many of us, if we pray at all, we tend to treat God like an ATM machine. And we just want withdrawals. Like, God, can you do this? And God, can you do this? And God, can you do this? And what Paul says is we need to start in a different place altogether. We come to God with thanksgiving. God, I'm, I'm thankful for this shirt. I, I'm thankful for that I had breakfast this morning. I'm thankful that some of my friends live outside and I do not. And I'm, thank, I'm hurting for them, God, but I'm thankful. It starts to change what I'm asking for. You see what happens when we start with thanksgiving first? Start with thanksgiving first. Listen to what C.S. Lewis says about prayer, about how it, the nature of prayer is to change us. Lewis says, I pray because I can't help myself. I pray because I'm helpless. I pray because the need flows out of me all the time, waking and sleeping. 
Prayer doesn't change God, it changes me. Now, that's a profound statement. It's not entirely theologically true, and it's not even entirely consistent with Lewis's thoughts, because he, he did call us to pray for things. There's a number of times where the people of God would pray, and it says that God heard their prayers and petitions, and God acted. But in general, God's going to do what God's going to do, because God is sovereign and holy and true, and our job is to come into alignment with what God is already doing. And say, with thanksgiving, God, can you work in this situation? And even if it turns out differently than I expect, I'm going to be thankful, God. It's hard, friends. But Lewis says, it starts to change me. What do I mean by that? There was this season, um, was a season a couple years ago, where I, like, anxiety was really, really like right here to me. I, I will confess that I'm still someone that struggles with anxiety. I wish so much that I could be the enlightened one and kind of just say condescendingly, like, I'm sorry some of you have anxiety sometime. I'm just so far removed from the people, you know. No, I mean, this is, this is every one of our battle. Like, we'll face things that makes us feel anxious at times. It's financial. It's relational. It's spiritual. It's, you know, it's anything that just starts to divide our mind and moves us from people of peace to people of worry. That's what anxiety does. And so it's something that I struggle with too. But a couple years ago, it was really present. I was really struggling. I was driving down to Ballard. Our small group was meeting in Ballard. And I was in the car alone because we had taken two cars there. And I knew that you know, in Ballard was a group of people. It would be a meal and be whatever. And I don't want to go, quite frankly. Because why? Because of anxiety. Because I, I, I was stuck in, in the things that I was worried about and, and wanting God to fix. But I didn't feel like being with people. I felt like being anxious and angry. And truth be told, I want to like take a rock and like smash a window. Like I was angry and anxious. It, I, probably alone here. But does anxiety ever cause any anger in you? Alone. Yeah. Okay. Um, so I'm like driving down to Ballot and I'm anxious. And, and then I, I somehow like remember this call to like pray in the midst of, and it felt pointless. Like God, I just feel angry right now. But you know, I'm trying to pray and I'm thinking about what God hadn't done yet. It's hard to be thankful for what God had done. And I got out of the out of the car. We're, I'm in Ballard, 80th and whatever, and it doesn't even matter. I'm like, I have no other option but to pray. And I told this story a couple years ago. Some of you've heard it. Many of you haven't. But you know, I slam the car door. I get down and I get down on my knees on this like you know, the little piece of grass between homes. I didn't care. Like, when you're desperate, you don't care. I had no other options. And so on my knees in Ballard, I'm like, God, I just, I really, really want to be thankful for what you're doing right now. And it's really hard because I can, you know, this, this, this that needs fixed. And I, I'm lonely and I'm aching, you know, and, and I'm just pouring it out in prayer. And you know what, like, starts to happen? Like, I get up, and it's not fireworks. Like, nothing's resolved instantly, but... I slowly start to change. To begin with, I don't want to throw a rock through anybody's window. Like, that's step one. Don't be a criminal. Good. All right. And then step two, I'm like, I do want to go into this house. I do, like, these, are, these are people love me, my small group. I did want to like, have dinner. And, and then I could share my worries with them. And, and as the scripture said, they start to carry the burden. And we all pray. And we, it, doesn't, it doesn't go away overnight. But my heart becomes more ready for what God wants to already do. So we have this problem with anxiety, but it's real. And, and, and the, the command of Scripture is, secondly, to trust in the presence of God. Like we need to, we so often with anxiety, we get hyper-focused on what we need to do. But what Paul says is get anchored in what God is already doing. He's present to you. Look at Philippians 4, verse 5. Verse 5 is this, let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. The Lord is near. 
And it's an echo back to what, what Moses said to the people in Egypt who were you know, coming out of slavery and they're at the edge of the Red Sea and all they see is the conflict. All they see is everything to be worried about. And Moses says, do not worry. The Lord will fight for you. He's near. Like, trust that. We have this over and over again in Scripture, not the absence of conflict, not the absence of anxiety, but the promise of presence. That's what the Scriptures teach. Not that you won't hurt, not that you won't get anxious, not that you won't face struggles, but that God will fight for you if you have Jesus in you. And you're saying, I'm going to be a person of peace. This is our hope. Not that things won't get hard, but I have God with me. I have God in me. This is Revelation 3.20. Here I am. I stand at the door and knock. Whoever opens the door, I will come in and eat. You know, I, I don't know about your front door, but just imagine that visual. Jesus standing there. It's a little creepy. But how hopeful is it? He's there. He wants to come into our lives. He wants to be ready to engage you. He doesn't want to be far from you. He doesn't want to see you trapped in your anxiety and your loneliness and your depression. He loves you. He's here. He's with you. And so when you're anxious, because you will be anxious, know the presence of peace comes from a reminder of God's nearness. And when we're anxious, for me, when I get anxious, I just start thinking, well, what do I do, what do I do? What do I? It's like, what can I do to fix myself? And Jesus says, it's not about you. No, like, let me just be near to you and minister to you. You're on the edge of the Red Sea this morning. Good. This is where faith begins. To believe that God is near. Start with the presence of God. This becomes, and stay with me, church, and do not take me out of context, but this is where anxiety can become opportunity for more faith. Because when you battle the situations that are coming, you, you can say today, Lord God, guard my heart. That's what verse seven, look at verse seven. Verse seven, so hopeful. The peace of God which transcends the understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Jesus. Like it's, it's not our peace to begin with, it's the peace of God, and we won't guard ourselves or earn our way to peace. It's a declaration of God's nearness. We have one guarding both our hearts and our minds, our, our minds and our hearts. We have a guard. Interesting to me is the word used to guard that we use in the English guard was actually used by the Roman military. And remember this church in Philippians, it's the the Philippi church, many of them were ex-Roman military people. And so Paul uses a military term to them. He says, this Jesus, he will guard you. He's like an armed guard. You think of an armed guard at a bank or someplace where you've seen an armed guard recently, this, you know, the cash truck that drives it. Like, that's Jesus. Like, Jesus is armed and ready to protect you. And what's he going to protect? He's going to protect both your head and your heart. Because he can, he can help your heart feel less anxious today, but your head tomorrow morning was going to wake up with more things to worry about. So the Lord Jesus will give you his peace, and he will guard it to ensure that it stays. And this is where, like, in, you know, in more Eastern traditions, it's like the absence of worry. I want to think about less and less. And Paul says, no, think about more and more the peace of God. Think about more and more in the midst of the worst stuff you face, Jesus Christ. This is why our prayer life becomes so important, not when we you know, we don't pray when I don't hurt. We pray when we do hurt, when we are anxious, when we are struggling. That should drive us to our knees to push back against this prevailing culture of anxiety. Proverbs 4 says, above all else, guard your heart. It's the presence and wellspring of life. 
So this is what we do as God's people. We trust in this presence of God to know that as we believe more that God is with me, there'll be more peace accompanying it. And the anxiety will dissipate and more and more peace will be present as I can trust that God is real in my life. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, prominent theologian, we quote him all the time. He has this incredible little saying in his letters from prison right before he was put to death by World War II, Nazi Germany, for being a Christian. And he's in a jail cell, and he's actually writing about Christmas time, about Advent, but he has this quote about his jail cell. And I think it's helpful because for many of us, our anxiety and our worries can be like a cell that keeps us locked. Bonhoeffer said, a prison cell in which one waits and hopes is completely dependent on the fact that the door of freedom has to be opened from the outside. That's kind of like a no-duh moment. Like, of course, like, it wouldn't be a jail cell if it could be opened from the inside. But it's bigger than that. Because Bonhoeffer is saying, when you worry, when you obsess, when you think that you yourself can open every jail cell you face, it's no longer the gospel. But when you face situations in which you need Jesus to open the jail cell of your heart, the jail cell of your worries, the jail cell of your loneliness, when you say, Jesus, I need you right now, it becomes a place for our faith to grow. Because we can't get ourselves out of everything. And so Paul reminds his people here. He says, And the peace of God, which transcends the understanding, will guard both your heart and your heads in Jesus. And then Paul gets really, really practical He acknowledges first there's a problem of anxiety and conflict in the church. He just normalizes it. Yep, to be a Christian means things would get hard. And then he gives them this declaration in verse 5 and 7 about the presence of God. The Lord is near. I mean, we need to tattoo that on our forearms, right? Like, the Lord is near. We need to remember that each and every day as we walk into every situation, into school, into work, into our families that are tough right now. Like, the Lord is near. Remember it. And from that place, Paul says, and start to live differently so that you can't earn it, but you can remember it. You'll have more peace if you remember God's nearness through these practices of peace. Because presence makes practice. The presence of God means we, the people of God, get to practice reminding ourselves that he's near. So look at verse 8 and verse 9 here as we kind of close out the first part of Philippians 4. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever's true, whatever's noble... Whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Think about it. Paul's saying, like, literally, we understand that anxiety has taken your head captive. It can be like at times you're in jail. But Paul says, when you pray, just remind yourself. Remind yourself in who God is. Like, think about these things. Because our hearts and our minds can be so fickle I, I don't know, I mean, I, oftentimes I just feel like, how can, God did this massive thing in someone's life yesterday, and it's this like, oh my gosh, did you know what God did? There's a healing, there's someone set free from addiction, like, this is the kind of stuff we see, and yet we forget at times, we forget, and then our hearts start to worry, and the prophet Jeremiah talked about the worry of the head and the heart. Jeremiah 79 says, the heart is deceitful, who can understand? Uh, the heart is deceitful above all things and beyond care. Who can understand it? Who, who? I, says God, I, the Lord, search the heart and examine the mind to reward each person according to their conduct, according to what their deeds deserve. So our heart and our minds, we can be often led astray, but as David said in Psalm 139, search me, O God, know my heart, test me and know my anxious thoughts, see if any offensive way is, is in them. 
But God, I, I want to be more and more and more like you. I want your peace. Will you move me further and further and further away from anxiety? How do we do it? We think about the rock who is Jesus Christ. And St. Augustine, one of the great theologians in the history of Christianity, has this amazing quote, and I'll translate it for some of us that don't speak you know, old English. But listen to this quote. Only love of the immutable can bring tranquility. Only love of the immutable can bring tranquility. The peace that we want, the tranquility... It doesn't happen when we do more, when we strive more. No, it's only in loving God, the immutable, the unchangeable, the the ever faithful. It is only God who is the rock that can lead us in every situation. Only the love of the immutable can bring the tranquility. We end up finding ourselves like trying to do more and more. And in Isaiah 9, there's this beautiful little language about like when we we take our eyes off of ourselves and place them on God, that's where the peace exists. It's where the peace exists. How do we know? Let me just tell you Jesus' story. Because this whole principle of of the presence of God changing us and making us people who practice his presence comes out as Jesus calms the storm in Mark 5. The day the evening came and Jesus with his disciples said, let's go to the other side. They left the crowd behind. They were in a boat. I love the story because I love the sea. You guys know I'm I'm a water guy. So they're out in a boat, and a furious squall came up. Sea of Galilee is actually pretty small, but they do get some big squalls. And you remember, this is the year 33 AD. They're they're in like a roughshod little dinghy. So a squall comes up. The waves are breaking over the boat. These men think they're going to die. Many of these guys are fishermen, so they should know better, or they should, like, they've been in rough seas before. This is worse than they're normally uh, left to deal with. The boat's nearly swamped, and Jesus was in the stern of the boat, the back of the boat, sleeping on a cushion. And the disciples woke him and said to him, Teacher, don't you care if we drown? Jesus, don't you see us here? Like, you know, you just get this mental picture. They're all out in the boat. They're like, Jesus, I'm glad you're getting your catnap. The rest of us have reality to deal with. Like, you talk about anxiety. We're dying here. Like, Jesus, what in the world? And they go, and they say, they shake him. Don't you care? And when we're captive in our anxious thoughts, it's the same thing. Jesus, don't you care about the things that I care about? Don't you see the stuff that's breaking my heart? And the response here is so helpful for us to move into a place of more presence, being more peace for us, the people of God, because Jesus gets up, and you can just see him like almost like stretching a little bit, maybe getting ready to kind of show up. You know, but no, he's like, you know, he's, shh, be quiet, be still. He, he stills the sea. And then he turns to them, and he makes it a faith issue. Remember? He says, don't you have faith? When you're with me, you're with me. I'm going to take care of you, says Jesus. If you're with me, you're with me. And so stop thinking that I don't care about you. Stop being caught up in whatever is making you think, Jesus, don't you care? And Jesus is reminding his people, if you're with me, you're with me. So be with Jesus because it's the love of the immutable that can give us the, tranquil- the tranquility we desire. And as we develop habits where we're, you know, we've been talking about this rule of life stuff all fall. Like as we just pray more or read our Bible or, or practice Bible study with friends, you know, like whatever we can do to get more of Jesus in our life, we're not earning any of his presence. We're simply practicing more of the presence of Jesus because if I'm with Jesus, there's more hope for me Unless anxiety, I have an armed guard ready to protect my head and my heart that I need each and every day. And if you're like, sweet, I did that last week. I had a great week. Peace everywhere. I just want to encourage you. 
Like you're getting ready to go into another week and another week. This is an ongoing battle. May the peace of God be present to you, the people of God, in your heads and in your hearts, for you have a guard. A couple years back, Heather and I and our oldest two kids were in Central America on a service trip with a partnership with a... Uh, organization we love a great deal, and it's kind of, in, you know, bringing your kids into the third world is a little bit stressful, and there's political things going on, there's there a lot of work to do in the village, and, and, and there was a lot of fear, because we'd heard about bandits and robbing, and we had fear even, like, within, conflict in the group, maybe, and people worried about, you know, just stuff with other humans involved, there's just fear, anxiety, worry, and we came back to the hotel, and we were greeted by an armed guard, He's like, what, what are you, I'm just here to keep everybody safe. And it changed things a little bit for us because we knew that at the street, like, we were going to be good. It was one guy with a shotgun, so he couldn't have taken out a lot of bad guys, but we weren't hung up on that. It was like, it was enough. It was. And we went into the hotel, and we knew there was still work to do outside the walls, but we could, we could be free. There was a little pool, and we got to play, and then they brought food, and, and the joy, peace, right there in that moment. Yes, outside the walls, there's work to be done. Yeah, yeah, we know we're not done yet, but for just this moment, this was just the sweetest little time that sowed seeds of intimacy with our kids and with this organization that continue to this day. Do you hear me, church? You have an armed guard. And we know the storms will rage. The Bible includes it. We know anxiety is real and conflict is inevitable. But if you get with Jesus and stick with Jesus, he'll be with you. And his peace transcends all understanding. He'll guard your head and your heart to give you peace. Let's pray together. Lord God, thank you so much for the chance to come to your scriptures and be shaped and changed and informed. We pray that we be reminded in every situation we face that, God, you are guarding us. You are the armed guard protecting us. And though we know that the storms are raging around and fear is very real, Lord God, would you protect the hearts and minds of this congregation? May you allow them to stand firm in, in their belief in you. We know it's a group of people, men and women, young and old, believing in you, Jesus, and living that out in, in the places you put us that will actually move our society closer to your feet. But God, the world doesn't need more sermons. It needs the men and women of this church to live this sermon. And so as they go today, encourage them to, to spend time with you, but to be reminded that you are near, and that by following you in just small and everyday acts, Lord, putting our mind at you will remove the anxiety which clouds us so often and so easily. Okay, we pray for an extra grace this morning for people in the room that are really, really struggling this morning. Anxiety is not two years ago, it's, it's now. Even now their heart is racing and their mind is distracted and their heart is worried. Holy Spirit, would you just be present? May your presence bring peace, if not this moment or this evening or maybe later this week. Would God move us as a group of people that's more and more and more aligned that the peace that you offer is available in you, Jesus. Make us people we spend time with you. In your name we pray, amen.